Now at 7.35, uh, while much of the global media has been focusing, well, on a lot of stories, but including the Catalan independence movement, a referendum on a less fashionable subject, Kurdish freedom in Iraq in September, ultimately led to Kurdish regional government leader Masoud Barzani stepping down last week, ending 12 years of presidency. Let's bring in Denise Natali, Distinguished Research Fellow at the Institute for National Strategic Studies at the National Defence University. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you. Pleasure. So September's referendum saw a sweeping majority, over 92% of Kurds voting in favour of breaking away from Iraq. Perhaps we need to start with a little bit of historical background here, uh, how this would be the case for those who are not particularly aware of Kurdish culture or, or, or society. What would an independent Kurdish state even look like? Sure. Um, I think a lot of the, the independence in the Kurdish state um, has been inflated. You know, that you've got read that the Kurds have been struggling for statehood for 100 years since the, the, the Iraqi state was created, and that's not necessarily so. Uh, the Kurds are about 25 to 30 million divided across four states of Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and Syria. This particular referendum affected Kurds in Iraq. Um, it would have included... Uh, the three provinces of Iraq that the Kurdistan region for the Constitution has, but the, the most important thing is it was also the Kurds also wanted to have contentious, disputed areas that are oil-rich, such as Kirkuk and other areas. So much of northern Iraq, it would have concluded per Barzani's aim, but really there was never really any chance, any realistic chance for this to come about. So it was um, it was a game of roulette that he played and uh, failed badly at. Why has this been such an issue for, for so many countries? I mean, you've got Turkey and Iran involved in this discussion. You mentioned before that it stretches across four states, this, um, this Kurdish push for the right to self-determination, for example. Why is it not gathering more global momentum if they do have the right to that? Right. I mean, there's there's two points here. There's one who has the right. And, you know, you can say, theoretically, every group has the right. But then there's the reality of geopolitics. And there's the reality of, of the regional state's commitment to the territorial integrity of states. Turkey has a very significant Kurdish population of its own. Uh, some say up to 20%. That could be 15 million. Iran does. Syria does. So Turkey right now, for example, since the war against uh, the Islamic State, now has two borders controlled by two Kurdish groups, which Turkey views as an important territorial threat to its sovereignty. There's a, there's a Kurdistan Workers' Party group, which is a terrorist group that Turkey has been fighting for over 35 years. That's Turkey's threat perception. Iran has its own Kurdish population again, and so does Syria. So this is about each one of these regional states worrying as well that what happens in North Iraq could also inspire their own communities. But the, the other issue that some people forget is because of the breakdown of the Iraqi and Syrian states, these Kurdish groups, particularly the PKK, is very much implanted in northern Iraq in the Kurdish area. Mm. So this is, again, a double threat to Turkey and other states. And there's oil resources, and there are concerns from other communities that are non-Kurdish, Turkmen, Arab, nobody. It wasn't just the regional states. There was absolutely nobody inside Iraq except for the Kurds. And I need to, to correct a bit. 
even that 92% is misleading because there were parts of the Kurdish region in Suleimania, for example, where there was only 50% of the people uh, even turned out. So it's not, it, it was very, very contentious regionally, and then there are some local issues as well. Well, I mean, that's a hugely complex situation. In terms yeah. of drawing a, a distinction with, say, the situation around Catalonia, I'm sure there are a number of differences. Um, but but the fact that there's been this ongoing conflict, particularly with Syria and with a global fight against IS, has that emboldened then the Kurdish independence movement? Yes, it certainly has. I mean, you know, one has to ask, I think the more important question is why now? Because if you really look at Kurdish history, this has not been a continuous 50 or 100 years of the Kurds continuously demanding independence. That's a myth. There has always been this dream, and I wouldn't deny it, but the Kurds have been emboldened by the inadvertently, um, but, but nonetheless, the Kurds in Iraq have expanded their territories by 40%. The Kurds in Syria have expanded their territories by some, say, 180 over percent. So you had legitimacy or semi-legitimacy. You had the idea that everybody else was focused on Daesh or the Islamic State, that the Iraqi Kurds and their Peshmerga were gaining support, semi-recognition, and so they... They, on their own, translated this into political support. But yes, this, um, and many people saw this coming, but nonetheless, I think that this was one of the second or third order consequences of this campaign against the Islamic State was the Kurds thinking now that they they were more entitled to a state. So how do we reach this point now with the Kurdish president uh, and perhaps you can even explain what that title means mm. under the current circumstances, <laughs> stepping down. One, again, I think it's important to understand that much of the problems inside the region were existing before the Islamic State. This was all, you know, this was, as I've written in my recent foreign policy piece, this was not the cause, the referendum, but a catalyst of very long-standing problems inside the region. One being the President Masoud Barzani, he had overextended his term by two years anyway. I mean, he, there has never been an election in 12 years for the presidency inside the region. So this stepping down was a long time in the making. I mean, just a day before the referendum, they put the parliament together, which had been out of session for two years. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that Masoud Barzani is going to disappear or his influence is going to dissipate. Um, you have to remember that the Barzani family has been in, in, involved in leading politics since the 1940s. Their political patronage networks are very deep. Masoud's son runs the security apparatus. His nephew runs the parliament, the prime minister. So Masoud will officially step down as president, but he's still, uh, as I, I'm, I'm aware, going to lead this presidential, I'm sorry, this political leadership council. So, um, you know, it's a face-saving measure in some ways, or a, a time to put away what should have been should have been terminated two years ago, but many of the political issues about institution building, which is what the region really didn't have, still need to be addressed. So the Iraqi central government's retaken, for example, that oil-rich northern city of uh, Kirkuk that we referred to before. And, and if yes. the current situation in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere has, has emboldened the Kurdish movement, has that uprising risked weakening it going forward if if it's not been successful? Yes, it has. 
Um, let me, let me, I, I, I will make a distinction between the Kurds in Syria and the Kurds in Iraq because they're two very different groups, but the Kurds in Iraq have absolutely seen their leverage, uh, not just territorially, p- politically, but moreover, economically, have been significantly weakened. I mean, some say they're back to where they were in the 1990s. So that the idea of the Kurds in Iraq having an independent revenue source was fundamentally linked to Kirkuk because at the end of the day, there was not significant oil reserves inside the Kurdistan region proper. That is the three provinces based on the constitution. So over the last 12 years, since 2005, the overthrow of Saddam, they took a lot of territory. And Kirkuk, having control of the Kirkuk oil fields, was a boon to the Iraqi Kurds. However, at the end of the day, this is a sovereign state. And Iraq regaining control over its oil revenues means that, based on the Constitution, the Kurds should continue to get their percentage when that oil goes back to the central government. One of the big problems that the Kurds were doing was they were taking the oil and nobody was reporting it. So re- nobody really knew um, you know, what they were getting for price. It, wasn't, it was done, let's say, in a very opaque manner. So the Iraqi government now will try to pick up the salaries and pay the salaries of the Kurds that haven't been paid for two years. So, yes, Kirkuk, losing Kirkuk and other disputed areas has been a big blow. I don't think the dream of statehood has ended for Kurds, but I certainly think this has been um, a day of reckoning. And, and, and not everybody is taking responsibility. They're now blaming Iran. They're blaming you know the militias. But it's been a significant setback. Mm. Well, finally, what would be the message to the international community? Is there anything that we can or should be doing to intervene here? Yeah, I, 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 I think the international community. No, I think I think one of the problems, and it's more so analysts and lobbyists, and you know, egging on the Kurds and the Kurds in Iraq. They're they're pretty savvy. They they know what they were doing. They were told no many many times. But the the notion that the Kurds can get statehood by not getting credit, support internally is folly. So I don't think you're, you're helping the Kurds by encouraging them to do something that could not occur. But I would encourage, if anybody does want stability in the region, then you would encourage them or put conditionalities on any support given to them um, for institution building, for opacity, for working with the Iraqi government, because the best thing for the Iraqi Kurds is to negotiate with the Iraqi government. My second point is not to over-enable sub-state actors. I mean, there's been a lot of enabling, so that maybe Massoud thought he didn't have to make a deal with anybody. Um, so I would, and third, I would be very clear about the messaging that you give to Kurdish groups. It, not all of this was maybe, or perhaps encouraged the Kurds in ways, or Kurdish leaders, in ways uh, that it could have been avoided. But I certainly wouldn't be encouraging or supporting statehood when it's literally impossible, but instead um, being a bit more um, clear about the commitment to state sovereignty. Well, thank you so much, Denise Natali, for sharing your expertise in an area where many of us will probably feel somewhat inadequate, um, I, I suspect, no, thank anyway. You very much. It's been fantastic having you on the line. Denise Natali, Distinguished Research Fellow at the Institute for National Strategic Studies, National Defence University. You can text us anytime you like, uh, pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message. You can also tweet us at EFM this morning.